Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reactions podcast where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. Each brave guest provide insight into their journey. This podcast does not replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host author, Bon Galt, and her guest. Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reactions podcast. I'm your host, Vaughn Galt. And today, we talk to Dr. Peter Bregan about the 1,000 citations in his book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. This book is praised by... Dr. Peter McCulloch, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, and Robert Kennedy Jr. And it tells a completely different narrative about the pandemic that Legacy News reports. So let's find out the truth. And with that, Dr. Peter Bregan, welcome to CVAR. Oh, Vaughn, it's great to be with you. Great to be with you. To meet you, you've already in the in our off-camera uh, chats have given me new and good information to pay attention to. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, before we dive into the material, and this is some very heavy material, um, can you tell the audience your professional background? What gives you credibility in saying all these things? Well, what gives me credibility is not my background, which is very extensive, but is the facts that I present in the book. Um, there aren't authorities in science. There's a, there are facts, and then there are rational deductions from the facts. And it's a highly factual book with deductions that we stick very close to the facts. <clears throat> my background that enabled me and also my wife, Ginger, to do this goes back a long way. I'm a physician, I'm medically trained, I'm a psychiatrist. Um, I got involved um, in psychiatry as a college freshman at Harvard. A friend of mine invited me out to a local state mental hospital to volunteer in a new program. I ended up running the program eventually and uh, my first book came out of that program. Uh, and I started working with Harvard professors of psychiatry as a sophomore and junior and senior undergraduate. Um, I visited other state mental hospitals. I gave talks around the, the uh, Northeast about what people in distress really, really need. And it was so obvious to me as a young person that they didn't need anything that was being done to them. The drugs just numbed them out. The the electroshock numbed them further and lobotomy made it permanent. And the kind of abuse, the totalitarian uh, control the state hospitals was crushing to their spirit. And we related to the, to the folks with love and caring spontaneously. And we, we, had, we saw wonderful changes in people that were always so glad to see us. We had about 200 students, Harvard and Radcliffe in the program. And then I convinced uh, the, I uh, say convinced the superintendent of the hospital, he really needed convincing. I had to threaten to mm. take the program to another state hospital um, that, that we could really help people uh, on a therapeutic level if we could 
be arranged to meet with each of the leaders of the program, just the top mm. more most involved people, about 12 of us, if we could meet with our own individual patients once a week, in addition to running parties and taking groups out for walks and, and uh, occasionally taking them into town and stuff. And he finally agreed. And I ran into I, my first encounters with establishment psychiatry, which at the time was involved with psychoanalysis, partly like some of the leadership of psychiatry were involved in psychoanalysis. It was never a big deal, but like the movies make it out to be and uh, as the culture makes it out to be. But uh, the, the psychoanalysts in Boston, um, uh, they thought we were intruding on their turf, untrained therapists. <laughs> mm -hmm. we, were, we were supervised once a week, which was, which was plenty good for us and by a social worker. And they, they were against our program because we'd hurt the patients. I mean, these patients were beyond harm. They were already living in hell. And uh, what did the analysts know about how they were living? I never saw an analyst in the hospital wards. It was bizarre. And also the fear that the superintendent had of doing anything unusual and the callousness of most of the doctors and the outright abusiveness of many of the aides and nurses. So, but, but psychiatry was more open then, believe it or not. I'm talking about 1954. Um, 1954 through 1958 was my college career. Then I went on to medical school. But um, psychiatry had a social wing. It had psychoanalysts, mm. although they were very cult-like, I felt. They had even kind of political psychiatry, although it was, of course, very left-wing. Um, but there were alternatives. Some mm. psychiatrists, even though they were MDs, even talked with their patients and didn't just give drugs. Um, and as a part of that, we were, we were headlined in a big national report from the federal government on the future of mental health in about 1962. Mm. But 62 was pretty much the end of it. Around 62, the drug companies really take over psychiatry. They start investing heavily in the psychiatric conferences, the psychiatric journals. They're doing more and more drug ads. They literally take control of the, general, of the journals and the profession. Um, by the time I finished all my training, uh, including Harvard, when I got to Harvard, it was interesting because I already knew the people at, at the Harvard training program. <clears throat> After medical school, I went to my part of my residency at Harvard and they no longer talked to their patients. They had overnight made a reorganization of the Harvard training program at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center. And they actually told us we couldn't see more than two patients intensively during our program. Is that amazing? Two mm. a week, you know, and I guess we could change them eventually. And we also, we, it was all about management and drugs and other things which really made no sense. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't about helping people. And, um, the suicide attempt rate and even completed suicide rate was high at, at, on the program. And I pointed out that uh, that's of course the wards were depressing. And of course they, nobody was happy with my saying that as a, yeah. as a resident. But um, I finished my training um, uh, 
at a very, at the time, enlightened place, which was in upstate New York, where Thomas Sasson written a book called The Myth of Mental Illness, very, very thoughtful, critical group of people. But then that was attacked and closed down, basically. The, uh, the uh, critical psychiatry in the United States came to an end um, in about 64, 65. Mm. So I was I went through all that, but I was such a good resident, and my training was good that I um, was able to uh, join the United States Public Health Service and the National Institutes of Mental Health after my training, and um, I eventually went to Washington D.C. About two years ahead of Fauci, I was at NIH. I was at the National Institute of Mental Health of NIH, and two years later, Fauci came in and um, at NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and um, Infectious Disease. And it's interesting because during my two years, I was asked to stay just as he was, but I realized that there was no way to be at NIH without just being a uh, creature of the drug companies mm-hmm, and, bio- mm-hmm. and biological psychiatry and genetics and things that were spiritually wrong, psychologically wrong, socially wrong, politically wrong. Control, 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 drug, drug, shock, shock. And so I went into uh, private practice, which I didn't think I would do ever because I wanted to have, quote, a bigger effect you know, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. just helping people. I, I didn't fully appreciate what a treasure it is to help people, but I really learned. I've been doing psychotherapy ever since as a part of my my practice. And I also help people come off drugs. Then in 1972, I heard that lobotomy was coming back. Lobotomy is psychiatric brain surgery. It's basically mutilation of the brain, either with scalpels or electrodes or other means, even radiation implants. And I rose up from my private practice, continued it, but I started working with the US Congress. I was in Washington, DC. And I started working with other organizations, conducted an international campaign, found out that a lot of the psychosurgery projects were getting money on a racist basis, that uh, they would literally um, um, help control ghetto rioters with experimental surgery, bizarre things like that, getting funding for it. And I stopped most of the projects around the world. I was especially motivated by the fact that so many of the operations were on women and that there were some projects, not very large, but terrible projects, 20, 30, 40 children being operated on um, black children in Mississippi at the University of Mississippi in Jackson. And I shut those down basically. And um, discovered I was uh, having an impact. I worked with the Black Caucus of Congress and I worked with conservatives in Congress, the two groups. One, the Black Caucus had the social political uh, uh, understanding that um, the minorities were were getting abused. And the um, conservatives whom I had never met before, I thought of myself then as being liberal. I don't think, I think of myself now as being a constitutionalist. uh, personal beliefs in the founding principles of the country, uh, sometimes called conservative, not entirely that. But um, I I ended up uh, just getting really, uh, spending my life doing essentially volunteer, never took any money from organizations. I think we got one $500 
contribution once in the first year or two from an organization. That was it. Didn't try, didn't want them. And um, financed it through my private practice and then my reform work. So in the process, and this gets right into, by the way, one of the things Ginger taught me early on. Ginger is your wife. Ginger, my wife and co-author, Ginger mm-hmm. Ross, now Ginger Ross Bregan, um, was that I was actually fighting transhumanism, the heart of transhumanism, because transhumanism is the idea that we can tamper with the human being and change the human being to make the human being better than they were before on a physical, genetic kind of basis. And it's a very... Uh, extraordinarily dangerous uh, concept. It disregards any essential worth of the human being. And it ignores that the body is actually the, to me, the vehicle of the spirit. And I'm sure you would agree with that from your, mm-hmm. your work. And, and all of that is leads to horrific things like a great deal of what we're seeing going on now with genetic manipulation, with the vaccines and um, and their greater plans for genetic manipulation, which mm-hmm. they have in mind, or maybe be per- perpetrating that or even knowing it. And so I was a spearhead there and I didn't know at the time why there was so much violence directed at me for opposing lobotomy. And I thought it was just because if I opposed any successfully any psychiatric treatment, I became a real threat Mm-hmm. And, and that was part of why I got so opposed, threats against my life, attempt against my life. That was a little later, uh, censoring me way back then as best they could. Um, and systematically going around, tearing down my speeches, uh, um, stuff. I remember in Harvard Yard, we put up, I was talking at Harvard, my alma mater, and we put up all these wonderful um, posters and they were, systematically turned down libraries losing the books that I wrote and so on um but so I was really thinking without knowing it about the evils of transhumanism without even knowing there was such a concept at the time it was developing you know your your background is is fascinating in in how highly credible you are how you know it I, I wonder if we would be in a different state had, Peter, you played the corporate game instead of Dr. Fauci, and then you would be in that position that um, right now instead of Dr. Fauci, if, if we would have had a little bit more compassion in the COVID pandemic and its campaign. No, I wish that were true. I think the difference between... between um, uh, me and Fauci is that I would not do that. I could not do that. No one can do that. You lose your soul when you play the game. That's yeah. why not a single global predator reneges, no matter how many deaths we have from the vaccine, no matter how many uh, women and men are going to become infertile, um, no matter how many mass murders we commit by withholding proper treatment from patients. Nobody speaks out um, from the establishment. You sell your soul, it's sold. It's an amazing phenomena. And yeah. if you, you do speak out, they extrude you. So then you're forced to become an independent person, as I was very young. 
I thought I'd be the youngest psychiatrist to be president of the American Psychiatric Association. That was my career trajectory. I had, you know, I've published 70 articles over the years, peer reviewed of 20 books. One, one of two other credentials that are very, very important that Ginger and I both have, but I'll mention briefly. But no, it doesn't happen that way. That's the horror of it. You don't become Angela Merkel without becoming Angela Merkel. You go through the process and you change, you become. And what you've done in the, along the way is so awful, you can't get into uh, facing it and, and changing. It is very, very rare that people really immersed in a change. So rare that you have to be suspicious of people who claim to do it. Um, that, that's sad. You know, w one of the things that you said that really kind of caught my attention, um, and I think this is a trigger because I'm Asian American and I have a lot of black friends as well, is um, one thing I noticed with the advertising for the COVID-19 inoculations um, early on was this mass campaign targeting African-Americans to get be the first to get the shot. I mean, you would have Bill Gates and other uh, people going, African-Americans, you're the first to get the shot. We value you. We want you, you know, to protect you. So you're the first, be the kind of be the guinea pig. And um, it worked for some, it didn't work for a great number. But you just substantiated a a concern, underlying concern in ethnic and minority communities that we typically are targeted as the guinea pig for um, these types of um, experiments. So why is or why are black children often the first to be experimented on? Because when they did the mass um, media uh, videos to promote the childhood vaccinations for under 12 it was black children that that was the first to to get it so why is this often the case i think there are two or three um reasons and, and by the way let me just actually just quickly take a minute and just fill out the credentials in a sentence or two okay so i've been a medical expert now in over a hundred trials approved in courts state and federal in the u.s and in canada on issues related to the FDA and to NIH at times and to the drug manufacturers a lot of times and to hospitals and individual doctors. I'm, I'm sort of like a defense psychiatrist. I'm, I'm hired by the people who've been injured. So that has given me really uh, so much expertise so that um, when I was asked to do a report on the COVID-19 issues by Tom Renz, the, the great attorney, to, to stop the emergency procedures in, in Ohio. And he needed good experts to get into court. And I was able to write him a 120-page uh, report way beyond just psychiatric issues into the nature of the drug companies and what they were doing in NIH and CDC and so on. And that was actually kind of the impetus to the book because I had 120 pages, might as well keep going. <laughs> Though it took another year to finish it. Um, so that is a part of it. And then also Ginger led the way in our taking on another racist issue, which was, uh, I was away traveling and Ginger heard that the, that the most powerful psychiatrist in the world probably um, 
Frederick Goodwin, who was the head of an organization that no longer exists in the federal government, that was the overview of all mental health services. So if you had NIMH or the education department or neurology, wherever they were working with, with psychiatric issues and crossed over into it, he was in charge. And he was uh, accused of addressing uh, his annual leaders in mental health from around the country. I'm sure there had to be some, some black leaders in this large group, several hundred people. Uh, a secretary, an African-American secretary went to the Washington Post. None, none, of the, none of the leaders in mental health, which answers your question about, really doesn't matter whether you're Asian, you're black, woman, doesn't matter. You get to the top, you're the top, you're an oppressor. It's basically the formula. That's how you get there by stepping on people and getting on, you know, it's power. And, um, and, and she quoted uh, Goodwin as say, comparing black children to rhesus mon monkeys who just wanted to have sex, uh, I think maybe have children reproduce and uh, kill each other or something like that. Mm. It was terrible. And, and we wrote a book about it uh, called The War Against Children. <clears throat> And then when we got control of the book, we re, re, had it republished in, with the re, title that we wanted originally, which was War Against Children of Color, <clears throat> about a giant program that Goodwin was describing to go into the inner cities of America and show why these little black children and Hispanic children, mainly black, were growing up to be violent uh, for, on genetic and biological causes of violence in little black children, starting with the doing genetic studies while they're in the womb. <clears throat> this was a horrible genetic, eugenical, really Nazi program. I mean, Nazi this is. Right. So the question, the question I have with that is we'll that. Go back to that, if you like. Yeah. You can go back to yeah. That. The, the question I have with programs um, such as what you're describing that say that it's a genetic uh, thing for African-American children to be XXX um, that's negative, like violent or, you know, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, if that were true, then that wouldn't explain why a majority of Africans are very peaceful. Oh, it's ridiculous. From, it's yeah. right. It almost so, doesn't warrant... Um, so it's more it's it's more it's more about environment um, and the conditions of the environment that foster those types of um, possible conditions that you know bring up that person. So, um, but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother. And besides, who's more who's more violent, a street kid or Klaus Schwab? Well, let's get into that. Let's get into that. <laughs> I mean, really, this is endemic to human beings when they get power or if they are hard, horribly destroyed and powerless. I mean, either way, yeah. they can go that way. But I think yeah. there are a couple of reasons for just the racism issue in general. One is it's opportunism. I think mm. a lot of, uh, like a man like O.J. Andy, who was, who was operating on little black children in a segregated institution, neurosurgeon, dead now in Mississippi, um, if you look at him, I mean, who knows whether he was racist. It was a fabulous opportunity to experiment on human beings. Nobody to stop him, nobody to report him. And um, mm -hmm. in fact, when I told, this is the only time that a institutionally embedded psychiatrist really helped me in the whole program. When I reported to the head of psychiatry, 
at, at his school at the University of Mississippi in Jackson, the psychiatrist said, I didn't, Dr. Bregan, I, I never heard of this. I didn't know he was doing this. And he actually organized a committee to supervise him, OJ Indian. OJ Indian couldn't meet the criteria for a scientific study, didn't want to, and he stopped, they stopped him from operating. Mm. But I think a lot of it is just, just opportunism. I think yeah. another part of it in the US is the systematic democratic progressive party politics of keeping black people frustrated, poor, angry, and willing to vote for the outlandish distribution programs that basically put them on a plantation. It's not original with me. Right. And, uh, I think that this is really what is going on. Right. Then, I mean, there's many, many reasons. There's legal racism, and there's also just fear of the other. There's so many different things that go into it. And we, we have to have absolutely stop the government from promoting it. Because if you look at the ultimate of racism, it's slavery. It requires government intervention to maintain it, armies to maintain it. So what Ginger and I have done is to fight um, racism on a on a federal level, where wherever we could, and or, in a, or you know medical levels, organized levels. But I'm right, sorry. right. Go ahead. I you have wanted right. to say something. No, no. Very, very, very great points. And this is these are one of the reasons of many for myself personally for why I am nonpartisan. I don't belong to any political group. I voted both sides many different times. In my perspective, my husband feels the same way. We think there are two arms of the same puppet master. They are so, not. They are absolutely yeah. two arms. Of the, there's, of the, there's not so much difference between the Bushes and Obama and Hillary. Uh, so we just think, or Biden. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a lot of minorities, um, you know, have or are coming to basically a neutral stance when it comes to politics. And it's a case by case basis when they're looking at voting in terms of, you know, this, this ballot or, or this representative is a case by case basis. So, um, and well, I think know, that's how it should we, be. Nah, we differ. So let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you what I think. I think that the founders of this country were touched by God and they created uh, a, a, a government structure based on the idea that human individuals are inviolable, that there are basic human rights. And they built a declaration of independence based on these rights. And then the phrase, you know, was, uh, involves both God and God's nature. So I think they were kind of pandering a little bit to people who maybe weren't so religious, but almost all the founders were very religious Christians. I'm Jewish, Ginger's Christian. Um, and there is a basis for determining government on the origins of this country. And I don't think there, 
that we 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 should be actually picking a nice person here or a good person there. Or a good, I, that used to be me. We need to pick people who are defending individual liberty and who believe in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence. The vast majority of them, interesting, Vaughn, are that are doing the fight now. I'm really on the ground level with a lot of of people, a lot of contacts. Ginger is an amazing contact person. And um, the vast majority are religious Christians. And if you go back to the founding, there was a, a, a religious Christian revival at the time. And um, so I, I'm, I'm, I definitely have moved toward voting, uh, basically something that would, might be called real conservatism because you can't trust the conservatives either. Um, it's, it's a question of, do you believe in the constitution of the United States? Yeah. And uh, so that's more where I'm coming from. And there is a growing party that's a, that Trump tapped into. He did not create it, he tapped into it, then betrayed it with his allegiance to the globalists around the vaccines, which was bizarre and mm -hmm. unfortunately corrupt. Mm -hmm. But the, the, uh, the, this movement really has the idea now that there isn't one leader. I mean, if we have to go with Trump, maybe so, but there isn't a perfect leader. Mm -hmm. The movement is the people. And they're, they're often small business owners, they're truckers. Truckers are small business owners. They own their trucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, it's a rebellion of small business owners and independent, independent entrepreneurs that's going on in Canada and, uh, to a great extent. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a different approach. I'm just tremendously impressed with the people who believe in America first. They also believe in France first. They believe in China first, which would mean getting rid of the Communist Chinese Party so the Chinese people could be free. But they're in favor of freedom in the world, patriotic, free countries, protecting themselves, trading with each other. So there's a very specific evolving program that people can identify with. They might, might call themselves libertarian. Many libertarians don't really understand social relationships and they get so freedom preoccupied. They call it progressive, but no, rarely progressive, may call it conservative. And, and some of those people think that big business is, uh, represents freedom when it doesn't. So you got to really look at, you know, who is there and what are they saying? But we have a ton of people in this world today and there's so many places you can meet them. You can meet them, you know, standing up to school boards. You can meet them at maybe libertarian, maybe conservative, maybe Christian meetings. Uh, I wish more to Jewish meetings, <laughs> I mean, I, there's two or three of us, or well, three of us at least, that are very active in this movement who are Jewish. You know, Harvey Reich at Yale, and um, my friend Zev Zelenko, and myself. But um, not a lot of us. So, so let me stop now. And I hope I did. <laughs> I hope I didn't take away from you. No, studio. no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So, um, so let's get into the corporate medicine that's heavily funded by drug companies that. It sounds like it's coming to roost during the COVID pandemic. So that, which leads us into your book. So, um, you, you know. Should I give you the background basically of what was startling that we found in the book? Yes, yes. That's so maybe a good way to go into it. Right. So let me ask you this. 
What is the master plan that is outlined with the citations regarding Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, which was planned in 2015? So in your book, you mentioned Event 201 and the Great Reset, which are not conspiracies. They actually have websites. They talk about an economic forum. Uh, it's all out there. Totally. And then, um, yeah, please talk about what is the master plan of all this? Well, it was very interesting. We did not expect to think that Bill Gates was going to be a very important. I thought Klaus Schwab was comical. I had no idea. Um, He's a good how... villain. He's a good yeah. villain in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so is Bill Gates. I mean, Bill Gates is like the psychopathic 10-year-old, and I don't mean a psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah. I ain't diagnosing him. But he's like, you know, the guy who doesn't care, the guy who's just narcissistic and angry and, and they wear so short we, pants. His mother makes him wear short pants and he doesn't want to, you know. Well, he's like the weasel in the character, the weasel. Yeah. You know, there's a couple yeah. of different weasels that you, like you, yes. you don't you underestimate them in the movie, but they actually have a little more bite than you thought. Yes, exactly. So. Exactly. So um, we also didn't expect to find that they were all working with China. So that, that was mm. the second thing that was devastating. Uh, the thing that really got us started is Ginger found a scientific paper uh, published in 2015 when a lot of things happened at once. Big date. And the paper was... Uh, funded by Fauci, whom we hardly knew anything about. We knew that he was making believe he was a scientific authority, but that was ridiculous to us that anybody could claim to be a scientific authority on science. And, um, uh, and, and we looked at this paper and the odd thing was, is that there it was, it said in the title of the paper that they were making SARS-CoV viruses in a lab. 2015. And that was very strange because people were saying, oh, that couldn't be done. That's a conspiracy theory. And of course, we would eventually find dozens of articles about this whole process of making SARS-CoV viruses going back quite a ways. And mm -hmm. they love making SARS-CoV viruses. They're very, they mutate easily. They're very easy to change and transform, but not generally very deadly uh, until you transform them. And we saw two Chinese um, scientists, and we didn't know these people. One of them turned out to be the um, uh, lady who's who, uh, Shingli Li, who's called who's called adoringly by the Western media, the mm -hmm. um, the um, bat lady, because she goes into the bat caves and captures mm -hmm. bats and then toys with them, engineers them re-engineers them genetically to make deadly viruses from their, from their viruses, their, their normal happy viruses. Mm -hmm. um, and basically that the two top Chinese scientists were being funded and collaborating with making SARS-CoV. And then we found another paper 2016 where they, they thanked the bat lady for actually sending them materials that helped them construct the uh, deadly uh, spike protein. So all this was going on. Chinese were involved and everybody's saying China has nothing to do with this. It just came out of the caves in China or the wet market in China when there they are right in that area, Wuhan, 
uh, not just that one lab either, the Wuhan Institute, other labs, university labs are working on this stuff, the military basically throughout China's military institute are working on this stuff. And then um, we started looking at Fauci a little more and one of the early striking things was the denial that Fauci was close to Bill Gates. Well, in 2010, Bill Gates announced the uh, decade of vaccines. And he puts on his small vaccine committee for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a man named Anthony Fauci, who signs on as the director of NIAID, as in one of the National Institutes of Health. And he's working with Klaus Schwab. And then, and then he and Schwab both are working with the UN. And in 2012, the UN approves in principles what will become the um, whole idea of this fusion between industry and governance, a super governance of the world. Um, the, um, that, that's later, later he would describe it, in, um, you know, later Klaus Schwab would talk in his book about COVID-19 and the Great Reset, but he hadn't named the Great Reset yet. And there were actually people on the left who looked at this properly and said, look, this is fascism. What is our UN, our beautiful progressive communist UN doing uh, aligning itself with Bill Gates and Fauci and the, and the drug companies who are in, uh, their partners with? So, but uh, the right didn't see it at all. You don't, you don't see uh, you know, a lot of people on the right or the left seeing what, what is going on. And then we found two documents that no one else had ever made public. Um, and they're both in the book. And the first document I call the master plan. And then I later found the background master plan, <laughs> the one that was actually written as the master plan. And the first thing we found was a PowerPoint presentation between an organization formed by Bill Gates that nobody was talking about called CEPI. CEPI mm -hmm. is this fusion of government agencies, government leaders, um, and uh, billionaires, and lots of drug companies, and big philanthropic groups, uh, all of whom are coming together to, to have a governance of the world and make a ton of money with the coming pandemic. It's all about the coming pandemic. It's all about using vaccines as a weapon to force compliance, take away human rights, and make a ton of money. It's like, whoa, what a, what a game. What a big, awful, terrible uh, game they're conducting. And in this PowerPoint, and I actually had pictures of some of the slides in the book, so only slides that I put into the book, um, Clearly, the World Health Organization and Bill Gates's group, which think of as huge industry under the guidance of Gates and, and, and uh, Schwab, amazing. Um, they, um, they are dividing up the world in, in the coming pandemic into two pieces, one to be run by Gates's CEPI the industry people, the money-making people, the vaccine-making people, and the other has to be run by the World Health Organization, run by Tedros, who's not, is the first one to run, who's not a 
physician. He's a stooge of the Chinese communists, put in there by the Chinese communists, reelected with no uh, resistance. Communists so powerful. And there, and who is going to have the right to tell all the governments what to do medically, scientifically, to tell the journals, to tell the scientists? And that's what we see evolving in front of our faces, that you have to remember the Chinese Communist Party, with whom Gates is shockingly close. He has a top award, uh, uh, the only... Um, the only technologist to ever get it, some of the other people are Stalin, Mao. He's really up there at a big time in how he's beloved by uh, Xi Jinping. And, um, and one of the stunning parts of this thing, which is, by the way, it's in the summer of 2017, this, this document that we yeah. found, is that they actually have an agreement that the drug companies will get their drugs rushed through by the government and that they will have all their expenses, direct and indirect, they specify, paid for for them. So no wonder the billionaires and the drug companies are rushing to invest um, in the drug companies and to uh, go along with Gates and think who is wonderful. Then um, we get to the just before, and we found this just before the first printing came out. <clears throat> And we stopped the first printing and put these sections in and it came out. Then just mm -hmm. before the second printing, we find the mother of it. And mm -hmm. we stopped the presses again and we put it in. It's all in chapter 15 of the book. And, um, and you don't really, even if you have a first, the first, uh, not edition, but the first printing, you got all the data you need because we found the essence of it in July 17 in the PowerPoint. But we found out some very interesting new stuff that we're still exploring and we have breaking news to discuss uh, today. And um, if my voice holds out. What's, what's, what's the new stuff? Well, let me finish with this real quick. Mm -hmm. So in 2015, and that I can go into the new stuff right from there. 2015, Bill Gates and all of the cronies, Fauci and so on, and several government agencies, FDA and CDC, they're all involved. They're all working together ahead of time to make billions for the drug companies, decrease the power of the US government and move toward globalism. They're all working together. And they, um, they, they, they set up the original thing about, and they say it twice in their book. It's, it's meant for the billionaires and the big corporations and trusts to invest in CEPI. And it's called the CEPI Preliminary Business Plan. It's a business plan. Okay. And it's going to get money, tons of money and power, unfortunately, political power as well. And they figure out in this plan how to capture the federal government. That's the, that's the breaking news that we really got more, more clear in the last couple of weeks. And they do this in two ways. First, they get Fauci on as, you know, as an advisor and he's, he's on there, you know, giving his imprimatur to the plan. So that's NIAID. NIAID is the basic infectious disease pandemic organization. He's got huge funding for starting with his abuse of uh, the gay community with, uh, uh, with the AIDS uh, 
uh, epidemic or pandemic, which in which he did the same thing he did with the um, with COVID nineteen. He prohibited, tried to keep the gay community and anybody uh, with the immune deficiency disease, autoimmune deficiency disease, from getting proper treatments that were cheap and inexpensive for the pneumonia that was killing them. He did the same thing then, and he said, "No, we have to wait. Vaccines. We need these vaccines." And he never could make a vaccine. And by the way, they still haven't made a vaccine for these, these kinds of very, very easily mutating, rapidly spreading kinds of, uh, of agents. So, so well, real, real quick, real quick. So are you saying that Fauci is repeating the AIDS crisis with the general public now through the COVID vaccines? Oh, absolutely. And there's a very good book about okay. that. And we did not go into that. <clears throat> very much. I recognize I talk about it for a little bit, but um, um, Bobby Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has a book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and his book came out a few months after ours, and it was just amazing, his generosity, because just before his book came out, he gave us an endorsement mm. and said that we are the book that tells you the whole conspiracy, what he called the whole criminal conspiracy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And his book, a good chunk of it is devoted to the real Fauci as he evolved and showed himself during HIV decades earlier, mm -hmm. in which he repeated basically everything he, he did now. He didn't shut down the country, but he certainly uh, made um, gay people into pariahs, tried to isolate them and um, but mainly he prohibited them, he interfered with them getting proper treatment. And doctors uh, like now really didn't know what was going on. They didn't uh, realize they were being bamboozled. And a lot of people died because they couldn't get the well-known treatment, simple treatment, simple antibiotic treatments for the pneumonia associated with AIDS. Okay, so... So let me ask you this because we're, we're, we're covering so much scope and I have a couple of questions as you're saying things, I have questions I want, I well, want go to, ahead. Go to ahead. ask. Um, so with regards to the HIV nature of COVID-19 and the vaccines, um, there is a, there was a India study and many others that um, isolated the genetic particles of the COVID-19 um, virus and said that there were snippets of HIV in there. So it is lab created um, and there's snippets, exactly. of H there's snippets of HIV in there and they publish all of that. And I'll put the link um, in the show description, but uh, the, the recently deceased Dr. Luc Montagnier in France who um, identified the HIV um, code said the same exact thing that this was lab created they used the flu um, virus and and they spliced in um, snippets of hiv because they were trying to come up with an hiv vaccine specifically for it so they created the virus and they created the vaccine for it so both the virus and the vaccine have snippets of hiv in it according to dr luke montagnier in his very well-known um french 
TV um, interview, which I'll put in the show descriptions. It's, it's an old video as well. And he said that and he just recently passed about uh, two or three weeks ago. But before that, there is argument of whether he said that if you go and you get your third booster, you should take an HIV test and you'll be surprised in what you find. So the question with this whole argument about COVID-19 and the vaccine that's created for it is that everyone that seems to be a thought leader in the pandemic from Fauci to other people, they all came from the HIV um, crisis in the 80s and, and working with that. And now they're in COVID-19 um, as um, as talking heads about you know what we should do with, with this pandemic. The question in a lot of people's mind is that, and there's plenty of research material to substantiate this, is that is this whole government giving people HIV through the vaccines to make them sick and then relying on the government to cure them of their various illnesses from these vaccines like they did during the 80s with that crisis? And is this how they're going to control everyone? I do know that there's some sort of HIV fragment in, in the head. It's actually in the spike protein that mm. sticks out and enables the entrance into the human cells. I am unaware of any clinical effect from that. I don't know what effects it's having. I don't know anybody who's described what its effects are having. <clears throat> and who knows what they intended. There's no way to guess that or what will happen in the future. It's one more bizarre, hazardous, and potentially um, very unfortunate addition to the problem. But I, don't, I cannot make any of those connections. Um, and I'm not sure. There's also, um, as others have pointed out, that a, a lot of the... Um, material, the, the substance that they do the experiments in over the years have so gotten intertangled with each other that you can find the HIV fragments in the stew that that has made various, uh, mm. various things. I don't know the answer clinically or to what their intentions are about that. Okay. Um, but there are so many clear intentions that I want to get to in a few minutes about killing right. people. I mean, flat out right. killing people that are so horrible. Well, me, right, we'll, get, we'll get to that question, you know, and just so the the master plan as outlined in event, event 201 and the Great Reset, it, it just sounds like using the COVID vaccines and the inoculations for these pandemics as the tool in which to control the population and take away the civil liberties uh, in the guise of safety. And, um, and it seems like when you're looking at the news, a lot of the US governments and the government of the world, many of them are in lockstep in terms of enforcing the mandates, enforcing, you know, XXX different policies. They're all the same. Exact, lockstep, I, of course. Yeah. Identical, identical, um, identical policies. And um, is the globalist that you keep saying the globalist or globalism 
is that what um, you would define as like kind of a one world governance? Yeah, that's the one world government. That's the one okay, that, the globalism. Just, okay. Yeah, and let me spend the rest of the time showing how they're how they went uh, ahead tying up the U.S. government, mm -hmm. and also what their next plan is. Well, the key the key program in the federal government is it's not even NIAID and Fauci. The key program they had to own in the federal government is called BARDA. And BARDA stands for, I always have to read it, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. The Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. <clears throat> it is above NIH. It is um, directly attached to um, HHS, Health and Human Services. And the head of BARDA, the director, is also a deputy director of the top umbrella health organization, the, uh, the cabinet post of health and human services. Um, in 2015, when they were planning the SEPI uh, preliminary business plan, they were writing it over a period of a year, January through November, and then they published it kind of in-house for the big mm -hmm. people to, to read and buy the program, color, full color, you know, monograph. Um, they involved Rick Bright very deeply in their planning. Rick Bright, unknown to the public, never elected to any office. He'd worked for the pharmaceutical industry and then he became a real deep state bureaucrat. He worked for defense. He worked for, I think he was involved with DARPA, but certainly defense and, and various other, other uh, parts of the federal government. That's in 2015, 16, while he's planning this uh, program. Mm. And then just before he leaves office, Obama appoints him the head of BARDA. He appoints him the head of the program that is gonna be mainly in charge of the entire rushing through of the experimental programs with the vaccines and the drugs and funding them. So that even before he became the head of BARDA, he was basically owned by SEPI and Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. Okay, so everybody has so, the same boss. Everybody has the same boss. In a sense, yes. Okay. And it goes so far. He's so proud of that that, well, now, no, so then, then comes the most critical moment in the entire process unfolding of COVID-19. Zev Zelenko gets scientific information to the president and um, Johnson, Senator Johnson, working with McCullough, Lee Vliet, those three people have all written introductions to my book. The key people wrote intros to our book, confirming it's being the deepest dive there is. Mm -hmm. um, so Trump is getting all this information about the importance of early treatment. So he, he faces the... Uh, faces down Fauci, who's making fun of him publicly for supporting hydroxychloroquine. And he makes an official release 
of all the stores, 60 million, I think it was, of hydroxychloroquine to the United States of America, which would have changed the entire course of the pandemic around the world because would have given courage to everybody else in the world. And it would have basically stopped the pandemic because very good studies show that hydroxychloroquine in combination with zinc and other um, what they call nutraceuticals, we call nutraceuticals, various things that enhance the treatment of viruses in general, um, prevent 75% of any real deaths, not the fake deaths that the or built up by the CDC, but real deaths, prevent real deaths, 75% and 85% of hospitalization. So it would have ended it. And Rick Bright, without people realizing how deep his connections were to Bill Gates, to Fauci, to Klaus Schwab, stopped it. He said, no, I cannot in good conscience as the director of the BARDA and the deputy director of HHS, Health and Human Services, allow the president to do this dangerous, uh, unethical, or no, we didn't say they don't use those terms, unscientific move. In effect, he committed mass murder. So they owned Rick Bright and they got him. They'd owned him for five years. They owned him before he became the, the head of BARDA and then when he was the head of BARDA. And when finally Trump, much too late, gets around to removing him from his post, he can't fire him, he's a bureaucrat. He leaves, Rick Bright leaves um, the government and becomes the top person at Rockefeller for vaccines, which gives you this, again, these huge tie-ins of the global predatory organizations. And in his bio, I found on the um, um, Rockefeller posting of him, he says how proud he is to have been on the ground floor planning CEPI, but people don't know that means planning COVID-19. But they weren't satisfied with that. They had to own BARDA because BARDA is in charge of the entire uh, process under the emergency use authorization. And under the emergency use authorization, if you have, if they had approved, and I don't think Trump knew this, I've already met anybody who knew this, under the law, the written legislation, if, any, if there was a federal government approval of any safe and effective treatment like hydroxychloroquine and, and its associated strategies, or like ivermectin, and you know mm -hmm. the things that go along with that, the uh, emergency use authorization, the EUA, becomes null and void. The whole idea of having an emergency use authorization is you have nothing else. Mm -hmm. So you got to take these vast risks and rush things through, and the federal government has to spend billions subsidizing. So they got him in his pocket, but they wanted even more behind them than that. Well, prior to Rick Bright, there had been an acting head of BARDA. So Gates and Schwab and all the drug companies, they find this guy named Richard Hatchett, and they make him the lifetime CEO of CEPI. Okay. 
that we only just recently realized who that was. So basically, Trump never had a chance. The world never had a chance because they owned NIH and NIAID, and they really had in their pocket, at least as much as they had Fauci in their pocket, they had this little known nobody running a little known place called BARDA named Rick Bright, who's now a big deal at Rockefeller. So that's one of the key ways to help people understand how carefully they planned, the chutzpah they had, and how the bureaucrats bypassing Congress, any judicial review, anything else, while they're, in the case of Rick Bright, you know, while they're getting ready to become a part of, uh, to become the head of BARDA, he's already planning what BARDA is going to do with the predators. The questions about that, and then I want to tell people about what the what their organizational threat is right now, because nobody, this is another thing we discovered. Who is funding all of these master plan efforts? Like, is there a certain bank? Is it BlackRock? Is it Vanguard? Is it who is the who is the financier of all of this? All of them are. Everyone, all the big banks, all the international banks are tied into the UN, are tied into who through the UN. All of them collaborate with China. The Chinese communists are funding a lot of it. Um, Bill Gates, give you an example, when uh, Trump withdrew funding from who, Bill Gates stepped in mm -hmm. and filled the shoes of America. I mean, he's not a country. And he not only did it through people just are aware of the money he gave through uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates foundations, but he actually gave it through two other organizations as well, two other uh, supposedly philanthropic organizations, which are basically uh, promoting uh, the vaccines. And then all the drug companies that are involved in this, their massive wealth. In fact, they planned ahead for the two drug companies who would have their vaccines approved. They planned right. ahead to have Moderna and Pfizer become the approved groups. It was an entire setup. The, the wealth, is, uh, all the top tech companies are involved. They're supporting China. And they many of them uh, fought against Trump. And you know, the virus is released, obviously, during the Trump administration. People don't get that it was simply released during that time out of communist China because Trump was crushing the globalists by going after China and by naming the globalists. He used the word. He said the globalists are basically evil and we're not globalists. We're patriots. We're not going to submit to the global order. So uh, he, uh, Trump openly stood up to the Kochs, who were the big funders of Republican globalists, and said, no, we're not going to have open borders and make our labor force as cheap as the one in Honduras and, and uh, right. North Korea. Let me ask you this. Um, why did Trump authorize the COVID-19 vaccines campaign and try to take credit for it as, as his thing? if he's so against the globalists and this is the tools in which they're going to do the great reset? Nobody has a great explanation. Um, one of the factors that uh, Paul Alexander, uh, one of my friends and heroes who's up in Canada right now and is uh, being threatened with being put in jail for 
being a scientist in Canada talking about the real science right now. Mm -hmm. God bless Paul Alexander right now. But Paul, if you ever hear this, uh, Ginger and I have been, had our minds on you for days now. We love you. Um, the, um, so one explanation that, that Paul testifies to is he, he was actually on the HHS uh, committee or consultantship that put him on uh, Trump's COVID-19 mm -hmm. um, task force. He was brought from Canada, across the border, vetted carefully, and then brought in. And they, they stifled people like him. Mm -hmm. He barely got to see Trump, if ever. I don't know if he ever did. They actually never paid him. Um, they wouldn't, uh, they, they gave him his tag, but they wouldn't let him into the uh, conferences because the people around Trump were so evil and so globalist. And um, I don't, it's possible that Trump was so enamored with corporate America and, and the wonders of corporate world that he didn't realize what was happening. It's also possible cynically that, um, and some people say this, he was just told if you keep, if you keep fighting the vaccines, you won't get reelected. So I don't know the answer. It is inconsistent with his anti-globalism and human rights uh, positions, his patriotism. So we don't know whether it was, from my own experience, it's, it, it was hard to believe how evil all the people around him were, including his own FDI, FBI and um, you know his own spooks, his own, everybody, CIA, everybody was corrupt and against him and plotting against him and Hillary is plotting against him with the FBI. Right. It's, it's, it's a move. It's, it's a complex movie scene. I, I completely Very, get it. It's hard to um, know, hard to know, but he did betray America and the world. And he is yet to say, you know, he's been booed at some of his uh, talks of people yeah. who love him. These are people who love him. God fearing folks. They love him. They cheer him. And when he talks about vaccines, they boo him. So, I mean, it's, well, it, it's just hard to be at the top of anything without compromising. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. I call it a life lesson. But let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Um, what does climate change have to do with the COVID pandemic? What's the relation there? Well, it's very simple. Um, Bill Gates's most recent book is not about COVID-19, it's about climate change. Why? Because the progressives and the globalists and the corrupt capitalists, they're all one now, they're all, all corrupt people on, on a higher level, which may be that Trump couldn't face. Um, a lot of conservatives can't face that. Um, it's one of the reasons why I got canceled out of the, even among the conservatives. You know, I, I can't go on Fox. I used to go on Fox a, a lot. Why not now? Because it's so clear, became clear way back, maybe five, six, seven years ago, that I was not going to hold back and say that the drug companies were supporting Fox with its advertising, that mm -hmm. they're not corrupt. What, what, what does climate change have to do? With Basically, COVID? it's one more ruse to do exactly the same thing, destroy the Western democracies by getting them to suppress their industry while China does nothing. You have a pig 
like Bill Gates praising China that it's doing more with its global warming issues than the United States of America, which is a lie. I don't know how he could possibly even believe it. And then, of course, China doesn't even go to go to the global the climate change meetings <laughs> the right. last time around. So it's just one more cover story for destroying freedom and democracy by shutting us down while the well, the communists won't shut down anything. The biggest coal users in the world are building coal plants. You know, Harvard is doing a study um, or project right now on how to block out the sun as a strategy to reduce climate change. Uh, or Yeah, they're all in the same bag. You know, Bill Gates did it in Norway. You may know that. He fired off some rockets to see if he could scatter stuff up in the sky. He said he wasn't yet going to block the sun. And the Norwegians, whom he has just so bamboozled, he, he got them involved very early to, in, in, his, in his big organization, make them feel yeah. like they were somebody. But they told him to get out. You're not going yeah. block to block the sun in but the whole the whole these these strategies i mean i i i completely understand the arguments for and the efforts for cleaner energy and environmental and you know clean water clean air i given that's understandable yeah, it's a given but 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 the the strategy in which to achieve that like blocking out the sun is ludicrous well, we need see, we so need vitamin d we so need vitamin whole, D. Yeah, yeah, but see, yeah. Maybe you're not, I'm not sure if you're getting it or not, but so is the whole climate change. It's no more mm -hmm. real than the threat of COVID-19, which is highly concocted by vastly inflating death rates from COVID, which don't exist. 94% of the listed deaths, the uh, CDC has admitted for COVID, have an average of two and a half notable comorbidities. Mm -hmm. uh, they have put people on, uh, on, as COVID deaths who have uh, died in car accidents mm -hmm. and found positive. And there's, there's incentives, huge incentives for labeling a person with the flu as maybe having COVID, huge incentives putting them on, on respirators and killing them, and huge incentives if they die. So all of this is just to tragedy about this right so listen, right no it, um it's completely true i mean like my father he passed away um last spring in 2021 and they asked us if they we wanted to reclassify his death as covid for for money and of course we said no but it also happened to my friend with um the passing of his wife and his handicapped son as well the hospitals asked him the same thing and another co-worker of mine four of his family members passed away during the pandemic one in which was a um, gunshot victim and they the hospitals asked his family and him if they would reclassify it as covid for money and they said no four times and so oftentimes the, these voices are um are censored but um Vaughn, I never even heard of that before. That's amazing of actually asking the family uh, about it. So, I mean, that's so blatant. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. I never I never heard of that before. That's great. Yeah. My um so my awful. my friend who is a developer, one of her um con construction workers fell off a ladder and he had to go to the hospital. And because he was working during the pandemic outside. 
um, by himself, because everybody was, you know, working on the house, they classified it as a COVID related mm-hmm. injury because it was during the COVID-19 pandemic. He, he must have been exposed to the other workers, you yeah. know. Maybe I don't know, but you no, know, no, 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 that's uh, that's BS. I'm not. I was, oh. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah, you know, I, my wife Ginger, she takes everything I say seriously. <laughs> well, you know, um, I want to I want to ask uh, a couple more questions if, if we possibly can because um, really people really want to know these questions. Well, I, I still haven't. Uh, let, let me. I still haven't told you the real the other breaking news. So I think I think you're going to be very interested in the biggest news that we have right now is that we have stumbled on what is perhaps their next biggest move. It's definitely happening. Maybe there are other bigger moves coming. But in in essence, on January 24th of this year, 2022, not very long ago, Tedros, the Director General of the World Health Organization, announced at his executive meeting, it's easy to Google, that, um, and the executive meeting is very important and there's a lot of Zoom watchers from nations around the world that support him, Mm -hmm. announced that basically the World Health Organization was going to begin making a series of treaties with nations around the world to take over global universal healthcare. Mm, Okay, so, uh, okay, so a one world healthcare system. Under who? Under who, okay. We've seen what who did with uh, COVID-19. We know it's going to be a globalist, totalitarian nightmare. Uh, Another very big step, bigger than even COVID-19, in crushing the democracies of the world. So let me give you the data and try to summarize it again for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one of the most important things he said was his fifth and, and the last of his major priorities. And I'm going to quote him. The fifth priority is to urgently strengthen who as the leading and directing authority on global health at the center of the global health architecture. So Mm -hmm. literally, there's going to be a pyramid and and a ruler at the top of the pyramid, like the pharaoh, or maybe a grand Fauci, is going to be Tedros. But as always, these are small fry compared to uh, uh, Bill Gates and Schwab, the UN, and ultimately communist China, who appointed Tedros, basically, to his position. Mm -hmm. And then toward the end of it, he has a summary which is, is just really terrifying. You can imagine a Hitler, even a Fauci uh, or Tedros announcing this stuff, which he had, did announce. I actually have a clip of him announcing this stuff too. He, this is how he ends his written report. We are one world. We have one health. We have one who. And you can see him in front of a mob of... Uh, you know, Nazi followers, communist followers, global followers, you know, yelling out who, who, or, or uh, you know, uh, Tedros, Tedros. Uh-huh. And du- during it, he gives further explanation in uh, three of his main points. One is that under the new system, there's going to be universal and equitable access to medical solutions. Now, equitable access under 
global predators like Mao, like uh, Bill Gates, means the elite get it, nobody else does. Doesn't mean that the United States people are gonna have good health care. It means if things are gonna be equitable, it's gonna be real the same as Honduras, North Vietnam, Cuba, and, so it's, uh, so it's like a com it's like a communist or some would call it socialist form of um, universal health care, whereas whereas there's no capitalism in healthcare where one has to compete against another for 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 um, customers, which makes things better because people have choices. It's not a monopoly of healthcare. Yes, well, and there's also no human rights or individual rights to 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 get your health care where you want. So mm. that's very important what you said. But if you read their literature, they never, ever mention um, the uh, ports of constitutions, bills of rights, our Declaration of Independence. It's a, it's a, uh, a freedom-free document. So all of these mm. documents have no mention, none of the UN charter, none of the big UN documents that people follow. They never talk about um, freedom of choice. They talk about authorities telling people what's good. Then there's another where another one of the points they make later on is they want a stronger international reach framework with who as the um, the major authority on global health matters, the coordinating authority on global health matters. So who was gonna be at the top again? And then it's gonna be the one health approach that they've mentioned that before. That ties them directly in with the CDC, which also promotes this one health approach. And what it means is it means global universal health, but it puts human beings in competition with the environment and animals, because that's what it says. One Health, this is a CDC uh, website, One Health is the idea that the health of people is connected to the health of animals in our shared environment. And that's like, you know, you find some sort of weird little animal that they say exists only in one place and then you stop an entire project for getting water to people or a big farming project. And they do that all the time. It's a way of leveling humanity uh, to the level of, uh, oh, well, we have to think about global warming, of course. This is not just human humans and animals, of course, and whatever else. Um, sure, those things are relevant, but that's not what these people use it for. Now, the support for this group is stunning already. Hmm. First of all, they, they do have an agenda, and they want to begin making the treaties in early 2024. They want the treaties to be made, 2024. Um, they're well on the process of developing them. Their support includes, and this is massive support, and it's uh, stated on various places, um, not hard to find. They're working really closely and have been for over a year now with the European Union. That's the Organization of European Nations. Um, and they do that. They started doing that through a guy named Charles um, Michelle, who's the head of the EC, which is mm -hmm. the European Council. That's the governing policy body of the EU. And we also have documents about the EU itself on their stationery saying they're going to, to do this. They want to they file this project, put who in charge of things. 
in control. And then they claim support from Boris Johnson specifically, Great Britain, Angela Merkel from Germany and Emmanuel Macron from France. And they also have support from numerous other nations around the world. So this thing is really um, well on its way. And it is, I think, going to be the stealth method of taking over the world. They have been so successful doing it, um, using a COVID-19 and with WHO and China and, and uh, you know, the billionaires working together, that now they've been emboldened to use WHO to become the takeover for all of world health. Um, even if they can't convince the United States, I, uh, we're going to be up against a big block of health control. But if you think about Joe Biden and his sidekick on, um, on the climate change issues, John Kerry, they have both formally endorsed uh, in a presentation they gave together uh, the Great Reset. And since the election, John Kerry has said the Great Reset is now in process. Quotes in the book and links. Great Reset is now in process. So why wouldn't um, the president sign on to a treaty like this with the UN? The UN does not require, I researched this carefully, the UN does not require that you obey the laws of your country. For example, that your treaty be in the US be signed by Congress, be you know, approved by Congress. All they care about is two or one of several top people like the president, secretary of state, and the secretary of state can give total power, quotes, it's a quote, total power to anybody he wants to make these treaties with the UN. So we are facing a potential nightmare of totally bypassing national, national uh, rights, individual rights in nations, patriotism, high standards set by a, a few hand countries in the West for, for healthcare um, and just uh, taking them over. I mean, you could certainly see that they had uh, Trudeau signing something like this above mm -hmm. us and maybe Mexico below us. Um, so folks, uh, we got to get awareness of this. I'm unaware yet of any other significant leaders in the movement talking about this. We found it. It's being, it's like, oh my God, I think people are thinking, what are we going to do about this? We have to get a lot of awareness out on this. On, so the, the, next, the, the next plan on the eventual one, the Great Reset, according to um, these players, is basically the universal healthcare, but in terms of a, um, a globalist controlled, corporatic, um, one world governance of universal healthcare. So basically a monopoly. Bill Gates have thought, has, has, for example, one of his favorite things, found a way to monopolize governments, yeah. monopolize um, healthcare, monopolize yeah. pretty much everything that, that he gets in his hands into. Basically, we're talking about a worldwide monopoly. It's basically very well it. put. That is, I've never said it that way. It's very well put. And then if you track back, well, who was the, the really powerful person? group it's a person it's a jinping it's a chinese communist party yeah because, the, because tedros the head of who is puppet 
of theirs. And so is the UN, which lends its authority because it's, uh, you know, it's right. a governing body above who, who is an agency of the UN. And uh, I would think that within a fairly short period of time, and this is like a closing remark, practically, that within a very short period of time, that we lose all that power. Bill Gates and Schwab, people like that will be of no consequence to Xi Jinping. Right now, they invite him to their conferences. They say he's more wonderful than Trump. That he's the that China's better than the U.S. Like they manage things better. They're more efficient. Uh, or they, you know, we make them a lot of more money working with these wonderful Chinese people. And it's of course Xi Jinping. It's a communist. And they're gonna they're gonna eat these these white men who are the globalists. They're right, they're, they're just players. They're just puppets in the in like they're just uh, leading puppets in in the the grand scheme of basically a monopolized or the old word is Not communist. Really, it's really communist government. empire. It's really it's a, a communist, communist empire. Yeah, yeah monopoly really is communism in 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 business world. That's great. You know? I love so that. So it's it's, it's the same it's the same concept. So basically. Um, yeah. So all of these different, all these different governments, all of these different major players are basically puppets in a worldwide monopoly. Exactly. Very well put. Okay. Well, let me let let's let's let me ask you some questions about censorship really quick, and we'll kind of close off and give people okay. some hope for how they can protect their civil liberties. So, um, you know, big tech censorship has been labeling. And the Homeland Security in the United States have been labeling regular civilians as, quote, quote, domestic terrorists. And if you go to, let me share my screen really quick. I'm going to share my screen. Okay. okay, so this right here, do you see it? Yeah. Okay, so this right here is from the... Um, Department of Homeland Security website. So this is their org chart, you guys, from the bottom all the way up. So they're quite extensive. They go from the U.S. Coast Guard, immigration, border. Um, and I found two interesting offices. One is privacy offices. They have an office just for trying to get privacy information. Now, I think this is the government's already existing privacy. They're already existing, they're yeah. They're taking so this all under their octopus. Yeah, yeah, look at that. It's amazing. How much security and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties is also under Homeland Security. Amazing. So they got to monitor civil rights and civil liberties to make sure that we're not out of line with what the government's authorized narrative is. Same with privacy information. The other thing I wanted to, because on this website, uh, let me go here. Here is the website. For a summary of terrorism, or ter terrorism. So, like some of the key factors that is one, the proliferation of false and misleading narratives, which sow discourse, discord, or undermine public trust in U.S. governments, such as um, widespread online proliferation of false or misleading narratives regarding. A unsubstantiated election fraud or COVID-19. So for example, the things that um, you and many of the other doctors that you work with who are saying about the COVID narrative not being completely accurate, you will be classified as proliferating false or misleading narratives that go against the government. Yeah, we're terrorists. Okay. 
So now you're a domestic terrorist for talking about early treatment, talking about some all the things that, that you exactly. have substantiated with their own evidence. As the flip side, if you look on the other side of it, the federal government can also be seen as domestic terrorists because they are proliferating false narratives that aren't actually true as well because there are early treatments yeah. and the vaccine is not the only one there but is. They have, Along- they, have the, they have the guns. Right. The other thing I found it very interesting also is under this definition right here, um, domestic threat actors continue to amplify pre-existing false or misleading narratives online to sow discord in trust in government. Some of these actors encourage unrest, which could lead to acts of violence. And in much of these bullet points, they basically anything leads to acts of violence, incites violence. And what I've seen with, um, you know, people such as yourself who's t- telling the truth about the code narratives, giving a different um, medical op- opinion and recommendation is they're not inciting violence. They're just offering information to help people out. And a lot of the efforts have and protests have been um, peaceful. And so who are these actors that they keep talking about? Are we all actors as well? Um, th- that's, the, that's the question. And then right down here, I found this interesting according to their new guidelines of what a domestic terror is, terrorist is. As COVID-19 restrictions continue to decrease nationwide, increase access to commercial and government facilities, and the rising number of mass gatherings could provide opportunities for individuals to commit acts of violence. So, um, and then of course, domestic extremists have also viewed attacks as US on US critical infrastructures as means to create chaos and advance ideological goals. So you guys, I'm gonna put the link in the description there so you can understand what the our US government and our Homeland Security considers domestic terrorists. They had been under fire recently uh, months ago when they had put down that basically, you know, concerned moms and dads at school board meetings expressing the dis- dis- disdain for some of the policies that, that had, um, been enacted onto their children are now domestic considered domestic terrorists. Now people who give a different opinion and practicing their civil rights and civil liberties are also considered domestic terrorists. And so I find that very, very um, interesting. And you should find that very interesting as well, especially under this organized strategy to monopolize the whole world. I wanted to show you something else just to bring it. Here is um, an image of some of my screenshots that I have been dealing with since promoting CVAR because this is just a simple platform for COVID vaccine adverse reactions um, guests to share their experience, share their stories, share resources and provide hope um, so they can get those early treatments to mitigate their adverse reactions. And by sharing and creating this podcast as a platform, because many of them were censored, I have been targeted. And I share your experience, Peter, with you losing your YouTube channel and, and, and getting censored and getting deplatformed. So here's my account suspension on Twitter. Facebook's even more interesting because they don't completely throw me out because I have over 7,000 people who's been following me over the years for my Buddhism content. But uh, this is what I have to do when I log into my Facebook. I have to click this, it is extra layers. 
I have to uh, get a code, an email or a phone, and it takes forever. And I do this every single time. And then I come across this. It says, choose a type of ID to upload. We'll use your government issue ID or official document to help confirm who you are. It won't be shared on your profile. These are the approved lists in order for you to access your Facebook account. Passport, driver's license, national ID card, marriage certificate, official name change paperwork, green card, residence permit, permanent, permit or immigration papers, tribal identification or status card. And then it has a highlight. Your ID will be stored securely and deleted within 30 days after we finish confirming your identity. We might use trusted service providers to help review your information. And when you click learn more, the trusted providers, what trusted providers can verify my marriage certificate and my passport, my driver's license, my green card, my official name change, all these government doc documents besides a government agency such as Homeland Security and others of like kind. Big tech is in on making sure that you limit your civil liberties. And this is a physical example yeah. of regular citizens just talking conversation like this. This is dangerous conversation and we're domestic terrorists and you guys should all be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. So with... That's good with, stuff. Good yeah. Stuff. People need to see it. People need to see it. I've been collecting uh, the censorship on social media for the last last year. And I, and I use Mobizen, which is an app that will record whatever's on your phone. But when they started, you know, then there's right now there's other ways to go into my Facebook account to share in my groups and, and different places that I'm with. And if they decide to delete it, they've been shadow banning my content. People haven't been seeing my content for over a year and a half anyway. So it's not a loss to me. I'm all, my podcast and my work's already on 65 different podcast sites, five different video sharing sites, excluding YouTube. So um, it's not going to be a loss. No one's seen anything. But I find that interesting that I that people like myself, people like you, are so much of a threat to our own government for peacefully discussing scientific information that is backed up by their own documents and making interpretation that we are considered domestic terrorists. And these are the extents in which they have to mitigate our civil rights, like what Facebook is trying to do to, to myself, which I find very interesting. So I wanted to ask you, you know, because this, this it's gonna come to a head, it's gonna come to a head. Um, you know, many people speculate that if we don't restore medical freedoms or uphold our constitution, it may lead to civil war in the U.S., okay, which would have serious blowbacks for economics worldwide. For example, I'm in Washington, the city of Enumclaw in Washington. Um, they've been researching a motion to leave King County. So a city is trying to leave a county, trying to succeed from a county. And we joined nearby ones that wasn't going to do the vaccine passports and the mandates uh, when they were doing that. And then also there are efforts in five Oregon counties that are seeking secession to join Idaho to escape the mandates if they were going to continue this kind of lunacy. So 
Unlike what legacy media reports for the West Coast being so zealous of mandates and it's entirely um, loved and, and cherished, that's not the case because they're not reporting that there's cities and counties trying to secede if they continue these restrictions. So if a civil war occurs in our nation's near future, would redrawing of state lines be a peaceful, nonviolent way to address grievances for a temporary time frame? I mean, have you thought about this, this topic? Because this is one of the reactions to the COVID-19 pandemics. Um, I think it's uh, premature to talk about a civil war. Um, I don't think any of us can predict the future. I think anything is possible if there is something like a civil war, which is kind of hard to imagine when you look mm -hmm. at the power in the hands of the federal government. Um, it wouldn't be like North versus South. It'd be much more complicated than that. Um, I think we have to avert that. We have to, with all of our might, turn the government around. We have to mm -hmm. really supervise the elections. We have to just fight tooth and nail to make sure that they're as fair as we can get them, fair enough so that we can win, uh, which may take landslides. So we're gonna need lots and lots of people. We need to change our school boards. We need to run for school board. We need to change our sheriffs, run for sheriff. We just have a ton of work to do as a people. Mm -hmm. And each of us has different skills and abilities and uh, you have a set and I and Ginger have a set but um, I don't want to look ahead to a civil war or even Nobody discuss does. The, the possibilities of it. I want to say that we need to avert something like that uh, mm -hmm. from, from happening and to do everything in our power to, yeah. um, to, to return to what I call refound America. We mm -hmm. have, a, we have our, a t our own TV show on Brighton, B-R-I-G-H-T, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N, um, and um, Mike Adams' uh, TV station, Brighton.tv. Yeah. I'll put it and, in the description. Uh, great. And, and our theme is uh, refounding America and, um, you know, remaking ourselves. Um, and that's what we need to do. We have to become braver we, individually. We all have to stand up for what we believe in. We have to work with others on, on bringing back the founding principles of the country. And uh, right. we talk about that in our book, COVID-19, The Global Predators. I'd like to mention where people can get that book. Yes, I don't please. think I've done that. And um, the uh, COVID-19, The Global Predators is a bestseller now. We've sold over 65,000 copies. We thought we'd sell 500 out of our garage. But I think uh, thanks to the, the depth quali and quality of the book, the three marvelous physicians who have written introductions, uh, including Zelenko and McCullough and Vliet, um, and to the, just, the, just people like yourself who've been taking risks and, and uh, having me on the air. So it's doing very well. <clears throat> you can, a lot of people like to buy direct. You can buy direct from bregan.com or uh, excuse me, from bregan.com. But even easier, we have a, uh, a setup of a separate or dedicated um, 
um, website for it, which is wearethepray.com. So that's the subtitle of the book, wearethepray.com. And you can get it at a reduced price uh, there. And you can also get it on all the usual sources like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, worldwide, everywhere in the world, people should be able to find a, uh, an Amazon or uh, otherwise connected uh, uh, website where you can buy it from. And to keep in touch with us, uh, go to bregan.com, B-R-E-G-G-I-N.com, and get our frequent alerts. Um, that's where we connect people as much as possible to a new radio show we're developing. It's going to be for the first time, me and Ginger together. Uh, oh, Ginger's going to be in it. Yay! Yay! We're going to finally get Ginger <laughs> on the air, and that's going to be on America Out Loud. We blog on America Out Loud but uh, also on it, just simultaneously, you'll get the blogs through our um, frequent alerts. So the, base, the basic thing to find out what we're doing is, is the frequent alerts. And the simplest way in America, only in America, US, hey, yeah. uh, to buy the book is um, wearethepray.com. We right. And, uh, anywhere in the world, including America, you can get it on, on amazon.com and so on. Well, you know, um, I love I, I love the, the work and I love what you guys are doing. Um, and I love that you guys offer people on your shows um, a lot of examples of how we the people can restore our civil liberties and protect medical freedoms. And then, of course, um, I think the next current events is seek justice for our grievances and what what has transpired and what has is being planned. And so that we know how to divert what's ahead so um we we do have a a a, a journey ahead and it can, it can feel trifling it can feel overwhelming so what words of advice do you have for grassroots regular americans who are working to restore our civil liberties well that's a great question um a great thing to uh, conclude with um first of all if you join in on any level in this fight, you're going to make friends like you've never had in your life before. I've been a reformer since I was 18 years old, and uh, I'm proud to be called the conscience of psychiatry. But I was virtually alone as a single person organizing other people and being undermined by other people or competed with, but whatever. But it was never like a joyful process, mm. but the people who are fighting for America's liberty are wonderful human beings. And you will find people to love, to respect, to support you. You'll find no backbiting or undermining. Just gonna find a great group of people um, like Vaughn, like me and Ginger, I mean, we're there to support everybody we can, like McCullough and Valit and Solenko. And then in your hometown, you'll find people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working even with people in San Francisco who are finding other people to mm -hmm. get together and support each other. And if you can do it in San Francisco, you can do it anywhere in the world, I think. Um, it's probably harder in San Francisco than communist China. Really not, but I mean, it's, it's a fun thing compare I guess because it's pretty bad San Francisco I mean uh, you know it's hard to get medical care in San Francisco people reject you because you don't believe in vaccines or you, or you don't love Fauci or something so 
which goes to your idea about the civil war. We have huge divisions, but we have to we have to solve them through the democratic processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, let our states become differentiated. Let California be a genuinely politically different place in Texas and Florida. Um, I mean, maybe that's the way to go, uh, you know, through the federal federalism that is through the state powers. But um, you will just be inspired by the people you will work with on any level that you get together with folks to figure out how to strengthen yourself, how to uh, get enough food in the house for any cataclysms, how to have uh, people support you and help protect you. I mean, this is going on all over America. And that's so that's one piece of advice is to join. Another piece of advice is for God's sakes, don't feel sorry for yourself and don't get helpless. That's the Mm -hmm. seat of all mental illness, all Mm -hmm. mental turmoil is giving up control over your mind and your beingness. Use whatever methods, whether it's Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, um, you know, good psychotherapy, but you, it really needs to see, be somebody who believes in freedom and America's yeah. freedom, or it's going to be confusing. Um, and, and realize that at no point, let them accomplish their main purpose, which is to terrorize us. Don't let them cave us in, stand up mm-hmm. for yourself. And the way I think about it, and a lot of the, the Jews I work with, and the many, many, many Christians and I work with, we look at this as um, God's opportunity. We were born. I'm 85. I've been given a second lifetime that began when I was 83. Second lifetime, a whole new medical career of understanding COVID-19, a whole new political perspective, which we have helped develop of standing up to the global predators and fighting for basic American principles, which which they hate. They hate Mm -hmm. us. They hate basic American principles because they're anti-globalist. So you'll just find wonderful people. You'll find strength. Don't give in. Fighting for freedom is a wonderfully health-giving, inspiring social community event. I love that, Peter. Thank you. That's so inspiring. I love that. And freedom fighters, or whatever you want to call yourself, you know, patriot moms, whatever you want to call yourself. Refounders of America. Refounders of America. I love that. I love all the buzzwords. I love it. Um, I come from a marketing background, but I just love all that. And that's what we need to hear is that um, this is going to turn around because of the grassroots nonpartisan unity of Americans all across the country, sharing and helping each other out, uplifting each other, pushing things through, you know, all the different ways. And it's happening on an organic level. It did not happen because of politicians and organizations. It just happened because one person decided, one mom, one dad, you know, a couple friends, and they just kind of grew. And I love that because that takes us back to the foundations of how America started was a grassroots effort of regular citizens um, and business um, owners. So, um, your book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, again, is classified as nonfiction, but it may be vindicated as a historical book. Um, you can get their book and offerings on their website, again, which is Bregan.com. 
And again, thank you for being so brave to fight through the heavy censorship to share with the world your findings. And thank you kindly to our listeners for listening to another insightful conversation here at CVAR. Until next time, be well, blessings, and God bless you all, patriots. God bless you all. We hope you enjoyed this episode of CVAR, where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. The views expressed are for information purposes, but do not replace any medical or legal advice. Please subscribe for more interviews. Blessings.